Welcome to Deep Green, a bi-weekly show about how the built environment impacts climate change and equity. Deep Green is brought to you by Metropolis, and I'm your host, Avi Rajagopal. Buildings are some of the biggest things we make as human beings. So if you want to know how we can do better for the environment and for all life on this planet, you have to understand buildings and cities and all the things that go into them. And that's what we want to help you with here at Deep Green. We have a very special episode for you today, produced in partnership with Interface, the global flooring manufacturer. Our topic today is how can we all fight the climate crisis? Emphasis on all. I have two incredible guests joining me today to talk about that. Dr. Catherine Wilkinson is an author, strategist, and teacher. Her books on climate include the best-selling anthology, All We Can Save, and The Drawdown Review. Dr. Wilkinson leads the All We Can Save project, which she co-founded with Dr. Anna Elizabeth Johnson in support of women leading on climate. She also co-hosts the podcast, A Matter of Degrees, telling stories for the climate curious with Dr. Leah Stokes. My second guest today is Lisa Conway, who is VP of Sustainability at Interface. Lisa helps Interface work toward their mission, Climate Take Back. She is also co-founder of the Materials Carbon Action Network and an incredible leader on climate change and sustainability within the architecture and design professions. So Catherine and Lisa, I'd love to hear how you both got started in the climate movement. Catherine, maybe you want to start us off. Sure, Avi, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Well, you know, I think like a lot of people, I had some really formative educational experiences, some really formative teachers who helped plant the early seeds of this journey for me. Specifically, when I was 16, I spent a semester at this really amazing school called the Outdoor Academy in Western North Carolina, lived in the woods with 25 kids. And sustainability was a through line in every course from art to science to literature in the way we functioned as a community and and also in the ways we engaged kind of beyond beyond the campus. And one of the moments that happened during that time was that I visited a, a clear cut for the first time. I was from right in town in Atlanta. I had not laid eyes on the ways that kind of the extractive economy can show up in rural communities and and on the land. And it was a very kind of politicizing and convicting moment for me and also a moment of just a lot of sadness. And I had this handbound journal that I, I still have and, and return to sometimes and I scrawled in there. I want to help the world be connected to the earth, change the way I live. And that has taken lots of different iterations in the last, see something more clearly. Now, more than two decades of, of doing this work in one way or another, but that that really kind of set me on on a trajectory where I just, I knew that this would somehow be my life's work. Lisa, what was your moment? So a little different, I think it hit me like a ton of bricks, honestly. I didn't have interest or knowledge of sustainability until I got to Interface. 
And I was recruited as a salesperson. And it wasn't really until I got here that I decided to really learn more about the company. I was in my 20s. I wasn't all that deep. And Ray Anderson, the founder of Interface, his first book was called Mid-Course Correction. That's when I really realized, kind of along with him, as I read about his fear in the chest moment, kind of had my own and realized that I didn't want to just sell flooring. I always wanted my career to be meaningful. And I realized really what a gem I, I stumbled upon being at Interface and getting to live that every day. So very fortunate, but it didn't take long for me to make it about more than just my work life, this climate work. I've only known you as like a sustainability queen. So it's very hard for me to imagine. We're, I know. Earlier people so. out. They're like, wait, you weren't like the recycling guru when you were seven? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Everybody who's listening and watching, you might see people who you feel are years deep in the movement and seem so passionate and so knowledgeable. They started somewhere, right? I mean, it's just hearing your stories. You know, I had not had a similar story myself. I went to design school in India and, you know, yes, we, we talked about sustainability, but more in a design assignment, you know, how do you recycle old tires or something, you know, like just, mm -hmm. it was, it was kind of not this world defining kind of idea that we know it to be now. And yet we all find our way to it in some way or the other. Lisa, you've had a fantastic year at Interface. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I mean, for somebody who started out not in the sustainability world, you've made some amazing breakthroughs. Yeah. I mean, I used to get excited about, you know, recycled content. It's kind of like where we all start in product manufacturing, just to watch it go up year after year, you get excited. But about four years ago, we had launched Climate Takeback which is our mission to reverse global warming. It wasn't until the past year where we had a product that embodied that, that I think it really made it sticky, both for our own associates, but then also our customers. And that is creating the world's first carbon negative carpet tile, which you think can only happen with purely natural products. You know, think of things like wool or like hempcrete, the, the fact that we could take something that was originally, you know, back 40 years ago at Interface, entirely oil derived, right? And over time, disconnecting us from the virgin oil well, but using those recycled materials, it lowers and lowers and lowers the carbon footprint, but you can't get to carbon storing without the use of, of bio-based so now the real innovation is this beautiful combination of old products combined with bio-based materials. So think of agricultural waste and rapidly renewable plants. There's always this like, well, how are we going to grow sales, but have a positive impact, right? That means that, that this is possible. We still have to reduce. Science is telling us we have to reduce. But science is also telling us that we have to make use of this waste carbon that's in the atmosphere. So it's not just about reduction, but also about what we call loving carbon, changing our relationship with carbon and using it as a resource instead of only treating it as the enemy. Mm -hmm. So that's the exciting innovation. We're going we're gonna to ride into the future here. When I hear you talk about that, Lisa, you know, I, it, first of all, congratulations. What an amazing achievement this year. And to go through that journey of breaking through a barrier that we all thought existed. And then you, you think about it differently and you suddenly realize, you know, there's a way to push past it, you know. And Catherine, reading through your book, All, All We Can Save, it's incredible how many stories there are 
of women in the climate justice movement who've done just that, you know, who've, who've thought about a problem in a different way, who've thought about a barrier in a different way, who've taken something that, you know, two systems that were previously considered incompatible and then found a third way that, you know, that, that points a way forward for the climate movement. Tell us about All We Can Save. Tell us about the book, the project. For those who aren't familiar with it, hopefully you will get familiar with it. All We Can Save is an anthology, a collection of essays and poetry and art created by 60 women who, as you said, Abby, are, are sort of leading in climate in, in all different ways. And the book project really was kind of born out of both inspiration and frustration. So inspiration because there is this incredible community that is rising to meet this moment, right? This, I think of it as like this great ecosystem of transformation. And there's so much there to celebrate and share the wisdom of and the work of, but also some frustration about the climate conversation has often been shaped to date. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of shifts in this, but a lot of the sort of talking heads and quote unquote thought leaders who have said, this is how we think about the problem. This is how we think about solutions. Most of them have been men and most of them have been white. And that's great. We want white people and men, everyone on the team, but it takes a kaleidoscope of perspectives, not just from different identities and lived experiences, but skill sets and training and sectors. And like we we can't see something as complex as the climate crisis through a single set of lenses. And so in a lot of ways, all we can save is an attempt to create a kaleidoscope that you can keep turning as you're seeing it through through a different set of lenses. And of course, the sort of mission of centering the work and wisdom of, of women in, in climate work is bigger than an anthology, if only one book could sort of <laughs> land and sort things out. But so we're really continuing that work through the All We Can Save Project, which is a new baby nonprofit organization and we're kind of continuing the creative communication work. We're doing some work around education and, and curriculum. We have all we can save reading circles that have now been happening for, we're right at a year from when we launched them. So people coming together into crisis, using this book as, as kind of a jumping off point for some of that relational work that we know is so important in in movements for social change. So lots of good stuff and and lots lots to come probably, you know, in the great spirit of emergence, things that we don't know yet will will be coming. But we know that there has long been a leadership crisis at the heart of the climate crisis and that it is going to take the biggest and strongest team we can possibly muster to turn this thing around. I just have to chime in, Avi, because it, it this book is just so, there are so many people working on climate that don't have titles, right? They don't have climate titles. They don't have a sustainability title like mine. And you can see yourself in these women in, mm -hmm. in different ways. There are just so many creative ways that I think women show up for this movement and I think need to have the confidence that they're, that they can do the work, that they're already doing some of the work and really 
find those role models that they might not have heard of, mm-hmm. you know, because we've been, we've been told who the climate heroes are. So it's just, I just can't recommend it enough. And it's, it was so refreshing to hear so many different voices within the anthology, usually kind of one throughout a book. And mm-hmm. it was just, it was just great. So many diverse perspectives, so many different ways to, to come at this problem. Catherine, you spoke of a leadership crisis in the climate movement, but building off of what you just said, Lisa, in a way, it's our way of thinking about leadership also that has brought us to the climate crisis. We've been content to let people who hold positions of power continue to do things that they think is best. And I'll impute them good intentions. I will say, you know, yes, they were they were going for profit, but they thought profit was a good thing, you know, and we know now that that we have to think about leadership differently. And as you're saying, all of us have to have to jump into it. I love what you said, Lisa, also about, you know, some of the people in the book, that their engagement with the climate crisis may not be through the pathways that they may have expected. I love that too. You know, all of us can find our own kind of ways of, of engaging with this. I'd I'd love to hear from both of you, you know, how do we get people started? How do women in particular get started? You know, what are some, if you have any advice for people who, you know, are right now watching the news, seeing the stories, making the connections, and the coin is starting to drop. Research last year did, did some polling and found that two thirds of Americans now say they can feel the effects of climate change in their communities. We all sense it now. It's it's become so tangible. It's come close to us. It touches our skin. You know, how do how do we get started? What do we do? Hmm. So I think that I think maybe it's uniquely feminine. Maybe it's maybe it's not, but I like doing this with a buddy or buddies. Catherine's one of my buddies. Catherine did all we can save with Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. I think that we have to have fun. I always say we have to have fun, but really like if we don't make this work enjoyable, it's really hard. And I think that, you know, whether it's, whether it's the book coming together, it's some things that I've done on my side, like the materials carbon action network, you know, having groups of people that have a shared purpose, Mm -hmm. I think make the work not only tolerable, but enjoyable. It feels a lot more possible. And I think that we feed off of each other. And that kind of actually gets back to your zeroing in on that leadership issue is that leadership isn't about a single person. Leadership at Interface wasn't only about Ray. We had an awful lot of other people step up that didn't get the kudos. I think that is, it's such good advice. And on the leadership point, Avi, I totally agree. The leadership crisis is far beyond the climate movement issue. When when we look at virtually every decision-making space, making climate-related decisions. And we've got still this persistent focus on short-term profit, prestige, power, things that are not landing us in such a good place at the moment. And I think the, the counterpoint to that, that I feel so enlivened by, is that I hear so many more people asking, what can I do? How can I help? How can I be part of, of this work? To me, that's where possibility lives in all of this. And so I actually, I was hearing this question so much that I spent some time thinking about, well, how have I held the question of of what can I do? And I published a piece with time in July with kind of five steps for not coming to a definitive and forever answer to that question, because I think the reality is it'll be a question 
that we live for the rest of our lives because this work of coming back into balance with the planet's living systems is complex and it's going to be a long, a long journey. But the first one is to feel your feelings, right? We are deeply interconnected. And so, of course, we are feeling the pain that is unfolding on this planet to human and and non-human beings. Tap into that because that is fuel and that is telling us something important. Then it's to scout your superpowers. Whatever they are, we need them in this work from hardcore engineers on one side to artists and poets on the other. Are you great at rallying people? Are you great at raising money? Can you tell a good story? Right. We need all of it and and then some. So really thinking about what superpowers you want to bring to this party and then surveying solutions. I mean, the amazing thing that was really getting to swim in this incredible toolbox of solutions that's already in hand. And we can feel, by and large, not a solutions problem. It's a using solutions problem. You can download it for free at drawdown.org. Maybe there's an area of climate solutions that's going to really light you up. And then consider your context, right? Climate action is unfolding in companies, communities, cities, countries, what's happening around you that you can plug into. Chances are you've already gotten an invitation that maybe you just haven't taken up yet. And then the last is totally in line with what Lisa's advice was, which is to cultivate a climate squad. If you're facing a planetary crisis, probably best not to go it alone, (laughs) but also... (laughs) The work is hard and all against this really big challenge. And in my experience, it's often that sense of friendship and collaboration and partnership that keeps me going when the work is is hard and it feels like, you know, gosh, these are just tiny drops in a massive bucket. And people that you can have fun with, I am like totally, totally here for that. We need a lot of joy in this work, because at the end of the day, we talk a lot about parts per million and, you know, 1.5 degree future. And like, this is just to me really about a future that is life-giving, that is more life-giving than the present. And so I'm trying more and more to make sure that the work feels life-giving in the present to make sure that it's, yeah, in integrity and in alignment. Hearing you both speak about this, you know, in a way, it kind of takes the pressure off of individuals. And I just want to underscore how important that is. I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way, but I think I've had to learn the art of asking for help and understanding that people have to help me. I think that's a general society problem. I think it's also a male problem, you know, and so we all have something we have to unlearn and like finding buddies, learning that learning how to play in the sandbox with others as we solve this problem, mm-hmm. but also relying on each other. You know, Lisa, the Carbon Action Network and Catherine with your reading circles, you know, those kinds of community building things are not beside the point of the climate change movement. Neither are they strategies. In a way, they are the climate mm-hmm. change movement, right? And I think that's really... That was the overwhelming sense I get as I read All We Can Save. It's just how in every case it was about 
finding a group of people, connecting with them, and then finding, using that to find your own purpose and do all the things that you said, Catherine. That's really important. So I want to pull off one strand from that idea, which is this idea of how we can affect change in our professional lives. You know, those of us who are, you know, in jobs, we often hear climate leaders say every job should be a climate job. If most of our actions are not geared towards in some way contributing to the fight against the climate crisis, we're going to, we're going to still be in trouble. So can we talk about that? You know, what can we do in our professional spheres? And also, how is that different from acting in a personal capacity? I'll probably say all organizations, certainly at Interface, we can do a better job of making sure that everyone really understands how their role in the organization contributes to our mission in in our case. You know, people with sustainability titles understand that. I think our salespeople understand that, maybe manufacturing. We need to make sure that everybody in all organizations understand what their piece is and how it contributes. I'm curious, I've seen so many sustainability jobs like all of a sudden, and I know that there's this big movement towards ESG, and I certainly get that in the metrics and the reporting piece. I think that organizations may be wisening to the fact that you're more likely to get applicants for a job that has something meaningful in its title. So are we hiring sustainable engineers all of a sudden? (laughs) Or are we hiring engineers and we just need people to apply? I think there's this reckoning that's happening where people are starting to understand, you know, how important every role is. And I hope that people are willing to be vulnerable, which is kind of what you were touching on, Avi, whether it's a male or a female problem, that doesn't matter. I think people in general have issues with being vulnerable. And I think that if we're going to engage Wherever we are, we have to be okay with being vulnerable. We have to be okay with not understanding what PPM stands for and ask. Learning the language of carbon is so important. And we need accountants in that. We need HR. We need everybody, poets, all of it, because it's all related. And if we don't talk about it, there have been a few articles that I've, I've read. And Catherine, I think that you might have even been one of the people that they asked, what is the one thing that anyone, one person can do to reverse global warming? And it's like, talk about it. It has to be part of what we talk about more regularly, inside or outside of organizations. So that's what I weigh in on. Yeah, I agree with all of that. There's a question about the professional piece, which is, can I, do I want to pursue climate from where I am currently in my current org and my current role? In almost every case, there's a lot of opportunity for that and a lot of possibility for that. I think some of that is personal choice about, does this feel like an ecosystem that's going to be down (laughs) with real movement on climate? Am I willing to push an ecosystem that is digging its heels in? I think you've got to kind of feel that out from where you are. Then there's a question of, do I look to go somewhere where I will be with more of my people to move things forward? So those are some questions that I think are are worth asking. There are a couple of resources that I really like. The Sunrise Movement 
put out this, it's a quiz and took me back to 17 magazine days called Green New Careers, greennewcareers.org. And it's fantastic. And it's imagining what our roles could be in the future, but actually they're quite archetypal. And so they're actually helpful in reinforcing for, for what we can do and be helpful with now. And then my former colleagues at Project Drawdown at, at Drawdown Labs just put out a really great resource called Climate Solutions at Work, which is really helpful, I think, for thinking through a framework of what can happen, particularly within companies around emissions reductions, obviously, around things like climate disclosures, but also around engagement and collaboration and policy advocacy and products and partnerships and procurement and financing and investment and business model transformation. And you get a sense very quickly of how many footholds there can be within an organization, within a company. And a lot of those are footholds that we haven't been thinking about. Like Lisa, you mentioned HR, right? Well, what if what if HR started to move towards climate supporting benefits packages, right? What would that look like? What happens when we treat organizations as incredible spaces for the kinds of conversations you're talking about, Lisa, and also for education. This is something that Interface, I think, has done such amazing work on. We need literacy around this stuff to start, you know, skyrocketing. Well, organizations are made for that. So all that to say, I don't think there is a simple answer, but I think the abundance of answers means that there's something there for everybody. And it's your quote, Catherine, isn't it? If we're going to change everything, we need everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things people can do is really like help articulate how what they do every day can contribute to climate action, something that everyone can take on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Lisa and Catherine. I'm going to I'm going to plug some things here. If you want to get involved with the All We Can Save project, allwecansave.earth. That's all we can save.earth. Go ahead. Join the reading circle, get involved, get involved with the movement. It's a great place to start. Interfaces, Carbon Love and Learns are a fantastic resource where incidentally, they actually they actually use your book, Catherine, as part of the process. Please, if you're in the design industries, you're watching this or listening to this, if you're in architecture, interior design, any of the allied professions, Interfaces, Carbon Love and Learns, I would definitely recommend that. If you're in interior design in particular, we've just launched the Interior Design Pledge for Positive Impact. It's a great way to articulate a commitment to climate, health, and equity. Check that out. That's on Metropolis's website, metropolismag.com slash interior hyphen design hyphen pledge. But similarly, in almost every profession in the building industry, architects have the 2030 commitment and the AI 2030 challenge. Structural engineers have your own 2030 commitment. In the building industry, almost everyone has something that they can look to as you know, a North Star. And then outside of the building industry, look for those, look for those frameworks either within your organization or within your professional associations. That's another powerful source of, of camaraderie, community, and networking in the fight for climate justice. Thank you so much, Lisa and Catherine, for joining me today. Thank you everyone for listening to us. I hope you have a great day. Go do something, you know, save something, save us all. Great to be with you, Avi. Yeah, thank you, Avi. Deep Green is produced by Metropolis. 
I'm your host, Avi Rajagopal. The podcast is edited by Hannah Beebe with support from Lauren Volker. If you liked today's episode, check the links in the show notes for all the resources our guests mentioned today, as well as for articles on metropolismag.com that dive deeper into the topic. A big thank you to today's guests, Dr. Catherine Wilkinson and Lisa Conway, and to all the folks at Sandow Design Group who support Deep Green. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode of Deep Green, available wherever you get your podcasts.